So what do you expect to happen on an ordinary day? Now, now some people don't like their ordinary days. They, uh, the monotony, or you might say that's boring. Me, I love ordinary days. The more predictable the day, the better. Uh, I, I thrive on schedule and rhythm, uh, but whether you love an ordinary day or you can't stand ordinary days, what do you think is actually going to happen on an ordinary day? Do you think amazing things are going to happen on an ordinary day? Do you believe that God is at work in ordinary days all around you all the time? And if you believe that, do you live in such a way as if that's going to happen, that you're going to experience God doing amazing things? I was in a conversation with some folks this week, and I was convicted. Someone said in the conversation, said, you know, at any given moment, God might use you to be part of a miracle for someone else. And that's true. That's so true. God can use us all the time. We can be a part of somebody coming to faith in Jesus. We can, come, we can be part of somebody's life even being saved just by trusting God even on an ordinary day. Today, we meet Boaz, and we see him on a normal day as he goes to work. Just an ordinary day for Boaz. But he lived in such a way. He lived out his faith in a way. Uh, he was living out his values and what he believed in God. And it becomes nothing less than part of an absolute miracle that God is bringing about in the lives of these people. Although he didn't know it at the time, neither did Ruth know it at the time. They, they couldn't have known, but he's bringing about this amazing miracle and just by living out his faith in his day-to-day -day life. I hope for you this morning is that you might in some way be inspired by this and that you'll wake up tomorrow, ready for whatever ordinary day you have tomorrow, to, to believe and behave in such a way that God might do something absolutely amazing in and through you in your life, and the things that you observe and see and the things that you do tomorrow. So this time tomorrow, you know, what will you be doing at, uh, it's 11.15, on Monday morning, where are you? What are you doing? Who's around you? And what might God be doing in that space? So I want you to think about that, but let's pray as we begin. So Father God, thanks for these people who have, you have gathered in this place. And I just pray your blessing now over this time. Whatever we thought might happen right now, whatever we are expecting, Lord, I pray that you just exceed our expectations because you are a good God your spirit is at work teaching us and shaping us as we reflect on your words. So we just pray that you transform our hearts even now, that we might leave here inspired to see your work in our world. May it be. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, so for those of you who are just joining us in this week, just a quick recap. Last week we met Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Naomi was a woman who went with her family. She had to leave her hometown during a time of famine to find food, and they settled in, uh, in, in Moab. And her husband died. Her two sons both died, and she was just left there in this foreign land with her two daughters-in-law. And the one daughter-in-law left and went home. But uh, this woman, in her grief and losing her sons, and then uh, decides that she's going to go back to her homeland, to uh, Israel, to Bethlehem. And, and just try to live as a widow there. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, stayed with her. She was loyal to her and journeyed to companion this chapter of her life together uh, back in Bethlehem. 
So these two widows, uh, Naomi and then her, daughter, her young daughter-in-law, Ruth, they, they go back to Bethlehem, and Naomi's just, just shattered in grief. She just feels that God has ruined her life and has brought all this calamity upon her family. And so now they're settling in Bethlehem. And Ruth says, that we pick up the story today, she said, hey, I'm going to go glean some fields. I'm going to try to find us some food. Ruth is uh, showing herself to be industrious here. She knows that they need some provision. In Israel, these, uh, hopefully the people are following God's law. God's law commanded that farmers leave some of their field for poor people, for widows, for orphans, for fatherless people, people who can't provide for themselves, uh, foreigners. Uh, so they were, the, God's law had some various ways of describing this. They weren't allowed to harvest to the very edges of their field. They had to leave that for the poor people. And then when, uh, when harvesters were gathering grain, if, they, if some fell off or they dropped some, they weren't to pick it up. They had to leave that on the ground so that the poor could gather and have some provision. If they owned a vineyard, you couldn't harvest your grapes twice. You have to harvest your grapes one time, and that which wasn't ripe yet or got left behind could be picked by people in need. And so God's law provided had these provisions for people in need, and and Ruth now goes to find a field, and she heads out. Now, this is grueling work, and it's a really tough way to make a living, but at least there was some level of provision. So uh, she goes out and starts this kind of ordinary task of a poor person collecting grain, and by chance, she happens upon a field. Verse 3 says, She went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters, as it turned out, verse 3, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, her chance chanced upon this field. We know as we read this, and the author wants us to see, there's no chance involved here at all. The hand of God that brought uh, Ruth and Naomi together and the hand of God that led them back to Bethlehem right at the time of the harvest just happened by chance that Ruth ends up in this field of a family member of her mother-in-law, Naomi. She doesn't know this. But we know it's no accident that God is at work all the time in ways that we may not even see or understand. And God's hand is at work. So then in walks Boaz. And I want to focus our time considering Boaz and the way that he lived this kind of ordinary day, just going to work that day. And I want to point out three things that we see about Boaz. The first thing is we see Boaz greeting. These three things will all begin with the letter G, if you take notes, or if that is amusing to you. If that bothers you, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> we see Boaz greeting. Verse 4. Take a look at verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Lord be with you. That is, no, so that greeting, Lord be with you, that, in our day, I, I could go most places in New England and stand in front of a group of people and I could say, Lord be with you. And people would respond. Or, with your spirit. It depends how long it's been since you've gone to church. So we can tell now, it's, it's, it's changed a little. So either, people would either say, and also with you, or they would say, and with your spirit, depending on how bad of a Catholic, good or Catholic you are. But the... Um, you can go most places and say, Lord be with you, and then people would 
that would kind of trigger something. But never in the scripture before that have we seen this greeting. Sort of Boaz kind of coined this greeting, Lord be with you. Um, and it reminds me of the story that uh, Megan Larson, your dad, told me a story of a priest who uh, got into the, the pulpit on a Sunday, and he's got his papers, and he's tapping on the microphone. Is this thing on? And he's, he's all kind of flustered and grumpy, and he's, he says, there's something wrong with this microphone. And the congregation said, and also with you. <laughs> Credit Megan's dad, thank you. I met him one time, that's the only thing he said to me. Um, but right here, so Boaz, greeting, right from the get-go, he starts his day by greeting people. Lord be with you. It's a prayer. You know, I, I pray that the Lord is with you. It's a blessing, the blessing of the Lord's presence with his employees. You don't have to greet your employees this way. But it's a reminder to us. We, we think about someone like, um, like Boaz. The way we greet people is important. And we can bring the blessing of God with us. We can speak the blessing of God it, as we talk to people or we finish a conversation. We say, hey, God bless you as you go. Or this time of year, wishing somebody, intentionally wishing somebody a Merry Christmas. And sometimes we go out of our way to not use language that in any way could be construed as faith language. But a lot of times it's totally fine and people feel blessed by that. My friend, uh, I, I, most days I get up, I go to the gym. I'm very tired and groggy at the gym. I have a friend there named Greg. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. And we greet each other. He says, hey, JP. Hey, Greg. <laughs> How you doing? Good. You good. Fist bump. And then you get to it. You know, you work out. But one day, I was feeling miserable. I couldn't even say that I felt good. So he said, JP, how you doing? I said, I said, you know what? God is good today. And he stopped. He said, you know what? God is good today. He said, you know what? I just finished my devotion reading. And then he went on and it described all the stuff that God was showing him through his prayer time that morning. And miserable me was there. And I was like, wow, all I did was say God is good. And it prompted him to encourage me. And it just changed the tone of the conversation than our normal, I'm good, fist bump, do the workout. I just, I hope we're encouraged. And even if, and it doesn't always work. So that you might greet, uh, greet family members and say, God bless you or something like that. And they kind of roll their eyes. Like, oh, there goes mom again with Jesus. Or, you know, it doesn't all, it's not always well received. And we can't always control that. But there's, even if we don't use the Lord's name, we can, the joy of the Lord is with us. And we can greet people with joy and set the tone. So right from the beginning, Boaz sets the tone, the Lord be with you. And we, we, we see in Boaz in verse 1 that he's a man of standing, which is a Hebrew word, which means a man of noble character. He had a good reputation. It's the kind of word in the Bible that's to describe war heroes. So heroes are, you know, a man of standing, a man of character. It's the same word to describe the woman of character in Proverbs 31, if you're familiar with that famous passage. You know, this great woman of character is this person of standing. But he's not a soldier. He's a farmer. But it's not about his heroism in war. It's about having a good reputation, to be a person of, of values and a person of, uh, of a just deep godly character. And he greets everybody, this man of character, and he notices that there's someone new on the farm. There's a young woman. She's a foreigner. She's a stranger. And he asks, hey, who is that? And he hears from one of his managers that who this new person was who's gleaning in the field, this new poor person. And Here's Boaz, 
He's a man of character and reputation, an Israelite man in a very patriarchal society. He's wealthy because he owns land. He has employees. He's successful. He's, uh, he's got it all together. He's you know, entrenched in this community. And then you have a woman in a patriarchal society who is destitute. She's gleaning. She has no standing. And she's a foreigner from a despised nation. And what does Boaz do? He goes and speaks to her directly. He, he knows from the story that he was told, oh, that's the Moabite I've heard about. She's the one who left her family and came all the way here with Naomi to care for her mother-in-law in her poverty. This is a woman of, he doesn't see, you know, the foreigner, the poverty, all that stuff. He sees a woman of character who has been loyal and faithful to a distant family member. And again, you know, it's, for us, we think about, wow, when we go about our ordinary days, there's people around us who are kind of outcasts, who might be lost or poor or lonely or hurting in different ways. And we can, can we notice them? Do we speak to them? Do we reach out to them? Do we speak words of encouragement to them, regardless of their status? And again, this, this all points to our Lord Jesus, who ultimately was wealthy, ultimately in his heavenly throne, had everything, but comes to us, wretched, poor, sinners, who've made a mess of this beautiful world God created. And Jesus, in his holiness, comes down and walks with us to, to love and to serve and to connect, to bridge that gap, ultimately, between us and God. And this Boaz bridging the gap between him and this foreigner, Ruth, is just a beautiful, another way of living that out. And we can all live that way reaching out to, to those people. So we see Boaz greeting. Secondly, we see Boaz guarding. Look at verse 8, 8 and 9. I'm going to read these again. So Boaz says to Ruth, he says, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Here is Boaz guarding Ruth. And he calls, he calls her daughter. We'll notice that. He's using family language. He's, he's welcoming her even by his language. It also indicates that he's probably a good bit older than her. Just tuck that away for next week, okay? Boaz is probably a good bit older than young Ruth. Just save that, okay? You come back next week. Uh, but he's, he's, he's bridging that divide even in his language. And he said, hey, I told my men not to touch you. That Boaz has implemented the first anti-sexual harassment in the workplace policy <laughs> in the Bible. And he told his men that, and he told her that. It wasn't enough that Boaz would just say, let's see how this foreigner does amongst these kind of tough men who farm my field. And he didn't wait until something bad happened and then, you know, rep reprimand the man who had, you know, violated her in any way. No, he tells them ahead of time and he tells her so she can not only be safe but feel safe. And that needs to happen. Throughout history, women have been mistreated and oppressed in different ways in different cultures. In the ancient world and in the modern world. And... Women need to be safe in workplaces, and they need to know that. It's not just enough to call out the bad behavior when it happens, but to create a culture in our community, in our workplace, in our churches, 
that value women as God values women. How does God value women? Well, God created male and female in, the image, in his image. So this, women are humans created in God's image and precious to him. Their, life, their lives are sacred to him and of infinite worth because God sent Jesus to die on a cross to save women and men and all who will call on his name. That's the value that God has, and we need to share that value as cultures and workplaces, churches. And again, it's not just physical protection, certainly that, but freedom from the fear and anxiety. This was dangerous. Naomi's not just, I'm sorry, Ruth is not just going for a walk on a farm. Naomi said, if you had gone to somebody else's field, you could have been harmed. This is a woman with no family around her. She's a widow. There's no males in her life. There's no protection. If somebody violated her in any way, there's no recourse for her. There's no legal recourse. All kinds of terrible things could have happened to Ruth, and Boaz guards her, protects her. In verse 13, says, Ruth says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? She said, You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't have the standing of one of your servants. She said, you put me at ease. He's, he's guarding her emotional health. As you go about your ordinary day, people around us all the time are freaking out. People, the levels of fear and anxiety in our culture and people around us is through the roof right now. And you can look at those people and say, you know, hey, toughen up, snowflake. Or, you know, you, could, you can mock that or you can speak kindly and provide support, emotional support, and encouragement to the people around us who are struggling emotionally. And here, Ruth says, you put me at ease. The way that you've spoken to me, the way that you've treated me. And we guard and protect people in need. So it just, as you go about your ordinary day, this time tomorrow, are there people there who are outsiders, who are new to your place of work or your school? You know, somebody who's alone. Are, are you... Are your eyes out for where people might need some extra care and support? And again, this is still, it points us to Jesus ultimately. You know, that, that Jesus came to bring us peace. Peace with God, forgiveness of our sins, and you know, rejoining us to God the Father, but also bringing us the peace of God that we don't have to fear, that we are so secure that nothing can pull us out of, God's hand when he has us, that nothing can separate us from his love. Not even death itself can separate us from God's love. We are eternally secure as children of God. We don't need to fear anything. We can live so freely, and we can live so confidently, and we now have that, and we bring it into our everyday lives, and we can share the peace of God with the people around us who need it so desperately. And we see that with Boaz guarding Ruth. So we have Boaz greeting, Boaz guarding, and now Boaz generous. So in verse 14, Boaz, it's mealtime. He calls Ruth over, and he feeds her. And she probably didn't have a meal with her, and she has enough that she has leftovers to bring home to Naomi. So he, there's just a lot of generosity there. And he doesn't just send her food with all, you know, she's probably sitting with some of the other workers or probably by herself. But he says, what does he say? He says, come over here. Eat with me, sit with me. He's giving her status. He's giving her, he's including her. And then he 
tells the workers in verse 15, Boaz says, look, workers, she's going to be with you. She's going to be near you when, when you're harvesting. And by the way, take some full stocks of grain and kind of drop them for her. Don't, not, don't just make her pick up the pieces. Give her some full ones. And if she pulls one out of a bundle, th- that's fine. She can do that. And the neat thing about this, it's not just Boaz's generosity, but it's Boaz empowering his employees to be generous. He's teaching his employees what generosity looks like. And they get to set the level of how generous they want to be. So they're harvesting the grains. They can be like, oh, here's one for the Moabite. Oh, here's two for the Moabite. They can give her as much as she wants or as much as they want. They can be as generous as they want. So Boaz is teaching generosity to his employees, and she, she ends up with a massive haul of barley. A crazy amount of barley. She gets a whole ephah. Can you imagine that? It's like 30 pounds of barley grain. So picture, I brought a barley grain with me today. I found this in my basement. Okay, this is one grain of barley, okay? 30 pounds of this. It's, so that's 300,000 of these. A f- picture of five, more than a five-gallon bucket of barley grains. And all that God's law required was that if they dropped, you know, some of these fell off the head of the grain, that the people would pick them up. Imagine picking up 300,000 of these. Find that one. Good luck. I didn't even see where it went. You get the idea. But look at this. So this is Boaz. He's running his his farm. He's not trying to squeeze out every last penny. He would have been perfectly in line with God's law by just allowing her to pick up the little pieces. He goes way beyond that. Not only does he follow the law, but he goes beyond the law, and it's just pure grace to, to... And again, when we think of just amazing grace, what do we think? We think of Jesus. That Boaz doesn't have to do any of these things for Ruth. But that's what grace is. That's generosity. And God does not have to save us in our sin and in our broken world. God does not have to reach down to us, but he does. He rescues us, and it's just, it's just pure grace poured out. The Gospel of John chapter 1 is a, another famous passage of Scripture we look at this time of year particularly. It's talking about Jesus. It says, The Word, that's Jesus, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It goes on to say, Out of His fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Or the old, the old translation, Grace upon grace. We receive grace upon grace upon grace. God's goodness poured out to his people through Jesus Christ amazingly. And then we get to be people who, you know, when we do business, um, we don't just have to look at the bottom line and squeeze every penny just to make a profit. And I love capitalism. It's great. But where's the virtue in capitalism? And here, Boaz, a virtuous capitalist, you know, freely just supporting this young widow. And her mother, and her mother-in-law. Grace upon grace, just how God treats us. Boaz greeting, Boaz guarding, Boaz generous. And then Ruth goes home, and Naomi says, "How was your ordinary day?" 
you know, and Ruth's got this sack of barley in the leftovers from lunch. And Naomi says, God bless the person who you worked for. Oh, my goodness. Who did you, where did you go? Oh, I was at a field, this really nice man named Boaz. Boaz? I know Boaz. He's our relative. He's a close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. This is actually an amazing connection. Now you have to come back next week to see what happens. It gets good, trust me. But just an ordinary day of work. Boaz didn't plan this day. He didn't write a script or, you know, if, you know, if, if this woman comes on my field, this is how I'm going to treat her. No, he just, it was just part of his character, just him living out his faith on a normal day of work, and he genuinely was just uh, kind with his words and protecting this woman and providing for her. Um, so what about you? You know? Just an ordinary day. With God, there is no such thing. That every day can, it can be this amazing opportunity to experience God. So this time tomorrow, how might God be calling you to be aware of his work around you and the way that you greet people and the way that you care for people and the way that you are generous with your, with your life? Because we can create a whole different kind of community. Remember, Naomi says to Ruth, you go anywhere else, you could have been severely harmed, and she certainly could have. In our world is, it's, our world is tough in many ways, but we can usher in God's kingdom through our lives and through our work and through our everyday interactions to bring goodness about, to bring about God's way, a different kind of community that we're building together as God's people. You are God's ambassador in, in the world, and we're ushering in a different culture. It's the very kingdom of God through you. Let us pray. Father God, I pray that as we think about tomorrow, and we think about how you might be prompting us that you would lead us, that you would show us what it might be to live differently than those around us, Lord, in a way that is truly good and pleasing in your sight, that's truly full of grace and full of peace and full of joy in every way, Lord. May it be. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.